to your heart. The reason we're doing this is because I believe at the center of the, the gospel is the man named Jesus who came into another man's world to see things from his perspective so that he could have empathy. You know, the Bible tells us we have a Savior who is very aware of our situation because he came and he walked in our shoes. And I think that's what this world needs. This world needs people to see things from a different perspective, to see things from another person's perspective, to take a moment and just sit with them and talk to them and hear their stories. I think a lack of interaction is one of the reasons we're so divided because we come from a certain background, we have a certain mentality, and we never really get to see things from anybody else's perspective. And so I'm thankful this morning that these folks have agreed to come and share what's happened in their life from their perspective. And I believe it's going to help us see Jesus clear, see the gospel clear, and leave us with something that's going to impact us to keep making a difference in our world. I'm just, I'm, you know, I could sit back and whine about it and sit in my living room and cry about how divided the world is, or we can do something about it. And we're going to do something about it. Calvary Church is going to even be more diverse as we, as we grow and grow and grow and grow. I believe, you know, they say that most churches, um, most churches do not reflect their community. I, I believe there's coming a day when this church has such a, not just, not just reflects the community that we live in, but I believe the church is going to be something that the community looks to and says, we want to reflect what God is doing in the church. And I believe that he's using us to do that. So I'm going to ask this morning, Lottie Rines, would you come? Pastor Fred Hudgens, would you come? And Derek Hudson, would you come? I wonder if you put your hands together and thank God for these folks as they come. And we're going to share some things this morning. Awesome. We were sitting around the table talking and Lottie asked me the question, why us? Why'd you pick us? And uh, I said, you know what, Lottie, I, I asked you here today, I think, because you have a unique perspective, uh, being someone who's worked so uh, much in our community. You've served in so many different roles. You could teach the church uh, what the community is longing for and looking, from, uh, looking for from us. And uh, you're also a lady, and that's why I put you in the middle, so you could keep us boys in control, <laughs> keep us in line. But we're thankful for you today. Derek is uh, my brother. We've been here at Calvary pretty much since the beginning together. And uh, we've gone through a lot of stuff together, and his family means so much to us. And so I asked him here because he's got the perspective of a person who's young and growing up in this current culture and environment. Um, might not have some of the experiences of people who grew up during certain times, but has his own experience and his own story to tell. And it's a unique it's a unique story. And Pastor Fred is here today, too, because uh, as a pastor in this house, he has a real heart um, for what God is trying to do here and has seen it firsthand. And he's walked uh, with Calvary through uh, a transition. So you know where we come from. You know the heart of our pastor, and you're holding us accountable to the heart of our pastor. And one of the things that um, God brought us here for was to break the back of racial division, not just between white and black people, yes but all people. And uh, in this room today, we hope to grow. I, I pray that um, as we grow, that more Asian people come, more Latino people come, people from all different backgrounds come because they're in this community and they need a place they can call home. And I never want a people to feel like they have to gather together to find a home in their own culture and in their own race. I feel like the more we can get together and see things uh, from others' perspective, the better we are for that. And so our pastors protected that. And the reason we have a diverse church, I heard Stephen Furtick say, I was listening to a podcast with him and Bishop T.D. Jakes, and Stephen Furtick said, in order to have a diverse church, you have to be a diverse person. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it can't just be something you try to muster up and make happen. And uh, you can't do it in a patronizing way either. Um, but it has to be genuine and come from the heart. And I think our pastor, our founding pastor growing up in inner city and in project areas and living for uh, times in larger cities and 
inner cities and having so much interaction with uh, African-American people throughout his life has just given him a perspective and a point of view that's different from most people. I think it's reflected in the church and the way he led our church for almost 30 years. And so we're praying that we can continue to do that. Um, Today, I want to give you a minute to kind of start things off and uh, talk for a minute, get the, get the nerves out. Cause I know I feel I'm even more nervous in second than I was in first. Um, but uh, I, I want to ask you, first of all, I'm going to start with you, Derek. I'm going to switch it up this time. So we, uh, you know, when you, when you preach like this every week, you preach back to back. Sometimes you, tr- if something re- went really well in the first service, you try to duplicate it and it never works. It never comes out right. Like I tell, I tell a joke in first service and it comes out and everybody laughs and then I try it again in second and it's like, what is this guy doing? <laughs> so you have to, I'm going to mix it up on you a little bit so you don't feel like you have to duplicate anything. I wanted to ask you all uh, this first question. Um, who's someone in African American history that has had a major impact on you? It can be personal, it can be someone in history, um, it can be recent. Um, but tell us uh, someone who's impacted your life in a great way. Um, for me, it was a guy by the name of uh, Lemuel Haynes. Um, he lived in the 1700s to the early 1800s. Um, for me, he was the most influential, and I'll tell you why uh, in just brief. But uh, for me, the, number, the way I look at myself first and foremost is I got saved when I was five. And so I've, I've never really grown up as, and had the opportunity to view myself as a black man. I've always used myself as a child of God, and so when I, I, but I am black, and so when I look at my history, um, the things that stand out the most to me is, and I'm definitely appreciative for guys like Martin Luther King and Frederick Douglass, other guys who paved the way socially um, in our country to make change happen for equality, and they fought for that. Uh, but even on a more important level for me was the guys who paved the way uh, to bring unity in a spiritual concept. Um, because, um, and I said it in the first service, you know, one, one day there will be no more Republican, there will be no more Democrat, there will be no more Green Party, there will be no more voting. Um, one day there's just going to be eternity. Um, there's going to be a heaven and a hell, and we're all going to be together in that. Um, and so I'm thankful for the guys who paved the way to, no matter what they, they look like, they were fighting for that unity. And this, this man, uh, Lemuel Haynes, he had an African father, and uh, um, his mother was white. Um, and he grew up, and he actually became the first pastor to have uh, a white congregation, and he was a black man. Um, and so you can imagine in that time the type of things that he went through trying to <laughs> pastor a people that looked uh, different than him. Um, and so I just respect, I mean, we're not going to get into everything that he did, but I just respect the way he fought because it wasn't easy. Um, and to a higher degree, he didn't just catch backlash uh, from the community. He only was able to pastor his first church for two years. His next church, he was able to pastor for 30. But after two years, there were white members of the congregation that knew he, even though he had fair skin, that he was black and they weren't, they weren't going to tolerate it. And so for me, his ability to not become bitter, to persevere through that, um, because it's one thing when somebody, the Bible's clear, you know, um, loving people who love you is easy. The world does that. But Jesus raised the standard for us as, as believers, and he says, when you can love those who, who hate you, that's when, you're showing, that's when you're acting like Christ. And so he, not only was he loving people that disliked him, he was loving people that supposedly were his brothers and sisters in Christ. And they were treating him with this type of cruelty. And so for me, I look back, and I'm so thankful that somebody had to be the first. And he was that, that first that kind of that paved the way that said, you know, in, in church, this is no more separation. God sees us as one. And mm-hmm. I'm just thankful for the things that he fought for. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Well, like Derek, uh, there's a lot of people that you can, um, discuss that really have an impact in your life, but mine is always going to revert to family, and it does because uh, my family is, was important, but, uh, you know, my mom, absolutely, but uh, my all-time favorite, who really influenced me the most was my Aunt Alberta, and uh, my Aunt Alberta was just, uh, she was a godly woman, and she just had a way of just saying things to you. Um, she would just speak into our lives every day, concerning direction for our lives. And um, 
she would say things like, um, you know, be like a rubber ball, you know. He said, you know, my brother and I, Sterling, uh, we would just say, Anna Bird is saying something crazy again today. So, but uh, she would say, be like a rubber ball. And she said, you know, no matter how hard you get slammed to the ground, you're going to rise up above it and you bounce up higher. And, and she would uh, just say all kinds of just crazy. One of the things she would say, like even before we would go out, if we were spending time with her, she said, you know, may the Holy Spirit make perfect your way and go before you. And she would just say those kind of things. And, uh, and one of the things that she really, one of the strongest things she taught us was because um, we lived during the time of, you know, Dr. King and, you know, we lived right in that period of time. We grew up in that. And one of the things she would tell us is she would say, never use your color. And she would just keep, I never got it until I really got into the workforce, but she said, never use your color. If she said, the moment you start using your color to get ahead, you've already lost. You know, so, you know, and so she would encourage us to let it be like Dr. King said, you know, let it be based on the content of your character, on your ability, uh, that you have the education and you have the wherewithal to do the job that you are asking or you're, you know, you're aligning yourself to do. And so uh, her, one of her biggest things is don't use your color. And so she was just a great woman of God and uh, uh, she loved us. She, you know, there were times when... Um, my mom was struggling. Um, um, my father, at age of five years old, uh, my father died. He died of an overdose of drugs. Uh, my brother and I saw that, and uh, but my mom was there, and she took just so good care of us. There was times she was struggling, and she would send us to our Aunt Alberta's house, and uh, my Aunt Alberta would just feed us. She would buy us clothes, and she just taught us to live right, to walk uprightly. One day, we were getting ready to go out, my brother and I, and she said to us, she said, you're going your own direction. She said, so don't find yourself following other people because they have their own direction. If you find you, yourself following in someone else's direction, you'll never get where God intended for you to be. So she always said things like that, and she always spoke into our lives. And so she was, if you talk about black history, this is uh, one of the one of the influential black people in my life. Wow, that's awesome. Some people ask why there's a Black History Month, and a lot of it's because black history was never told. Um, you think about the movie Hidden Figures, and if you haven't seen it, that is an A-list go-see yeah, movie. Yeah, yeah. That was a part of our history, both African-American and women's history, that was never told. So there's so much that we don't know because it was never told. But when I think about who influenced my life, it's my parents, Bascom and Eula Fields. My parents grew up in coal mining area in southwest Virginia. And when my older two sisters were little, he determined to move to Johnson City because he said, why would I pass two white schools to get to a black school with what they had to do on the bus? So he moved here feeling like his children would have a better opportunity. Something I learned last year, something my dad's been dead a long time, and he didn't have to thump his chest and tell this story, but I learned it as my sister was preparing a black history segment for um, something they were doing at Nuclear Fuel. When school, there, um, schools were segregated, for those who may not know that, and there's a school in Johnson City that was called Langston. It was seventh through 12th grade, and that's where the black kids went. And you may have read about Langston in the paper recently because a, a large part of it's being torn down. But um, so schools were being integrated. And my dad took my sister, um, Margaret, she was in seventh grade to school every day for a month, and they wouldn't let her in. So that was happening all across the city. And so a group of, of black families decided to take on the school system, because school system wanted to do a year at a time, which meant kindergarten in the next year, kindergarten, first grade, so it would have taken 13 years to integrate the schools. So my dad took, he and a group of, of people took the school system on and sued Johnson City Schools. Now the irony to that, to me, is I was on the school board for 13 years. I was school board chairman, so you know, to learn that my dad had done that. But he didn't have to thump his chest about it. He just knew he had paved the way. Um, now that, there were hard times for my sisters in school, don't get me wrong, but you know, he, he saw that educational opportunity. My parents taught me the value of being engaged and voting. You may have heard of a poll tax, you may have not, so let me give you a little history lesson here. When um, the amendment was passed that allowed all races to vote, some states chose to have a poll tax, which meant you had to pay to vote. 
that was really hard for black people and that was really hard for poor people. So it meant many times people's voice was still not heard because you had to have the money to be able to vote. So my dad and my mom voted at a time when they were trying to feed six kids, but you know, at a time um, when they didn't have the money, they came up with the money to be able to vote. They both had incredible work ethic. Um, I left my mom's 93, and she's one of the sample ladies at the mall, so I can never retire because it would be embarrassing for me to be at home and she's going to work every day. But their work ethic is something that they taught us. Um, they had us in Sunday school and Bible school and made sure we were in church. Um, my brother was born in 1964. He was mentally retarded. There were not as many services and things available for, for people with needs in that time frame. And they told my dad to put him in an institution. But well, my parents didn't do that. They took care of my brother. He stayed home and thrived and did wonderfully um, for many, many years. And he got a chance to live independently at a group home in Bristol until he died with an, um, an issue with his diabetes. So, you know, that value of taking care of each other, taking care of family. My parents opened their home to others. And so I you know, want my home to be that way, too. And I hope if you come in the holidays, you see it, just a reflection of our community there. But the um, Johnson City Cardinals had black and white players. And I'm not sure where the black guy stayed, but my mama had dinner for them on Sundays. Now, there are five girls in my family. People accuse my daddy of trying to make sure everybody got married. But uh, <laughs> actually, one of my sisters did uh, marry somebody who played for the Cardinals. But they did open their home to others. And just the whole value of staying involved. They worked multiple jobs. They were not educated. They did house services. They cleaned at, you know, they cleaned banks. They cleaned at the university. And I, I think about the fact I'm on a couple of boards at ETSU, and I'm standing on the shoulder, their shoulders for things they did yeah. to be able to allow that opportunity for me and my family. So for me, that important, that important part of my history is my family, my parents. That's awesome. Hey, talk to us. Talk to us for a minute. Um, I'll start with you, Pastor Fred. Talk to us for a minute about um, a very painful experience that you've had um, that was a racist situation where somebody dealt with you and treated you unfairly because of your race. But talk to us even more about how the gospel has really shaped you and allowed you to heal from that because... I see three people who have gone through some things, but I see three very loving, caring people who are able to not see things the way certain people have seen them and, and not let the hurt really shape and frame their view of others. How has the gospel helped you? Talk to us about an experience. There are so many. <laughs> um, golly. Um, Pastor Rob, the um, man, I, there's just so many. There's some tough ones and there's some easy ones. I, I guess the, the the toughest one is the. Let me, let me just say the uh, when my first really big job was uh, was uh, working for a company in Boston, Massachusetts, and it was uh, Westinghouse Electric Corporation, and. Um, Affirmative action had just was in high gear, and uh, and I got hired. And uh, I had the education, I had the skill and everything to do the job, but I got hired. And um, after I'd been there 90 days, I went in for my review, and uh, my the guy who hired me said, "I just want to let you know, I only hired you because you're black." And uh, it wasn't based on my ability. And uh, you talk about hurtful because I thought I put in a great resume. I thought I had presented myself well. And, uh, and how did the gospel help me in that? Um, because of, once again, I'll go back to my Aunt Alberta, because she said, you'll have to show them that you're better than that. And so what the gospel did is it helped me to understand that God has empowered me to be where I am. Any gift that I have is because of Jesus Christ. And so in uh, working at that job, after I had been there a year, I went in for another review, and he said, I'm so glad I hired you. Because you are, he said, you are way better than I thought you would be. And you're able to do things that I didn't think you'd be able to be. And that's hurtful. Because he's saying, you know, because you're black, I didn't think you were even capable of doing what you are doing. And uh, 
you know, this guy just, I think Derek said in the first time, first service, sometimes people say things they don't realize. They're not trying to be hurtful, but they just say hurtful things because of what they've been taught and what they've, been, they've experienced in their life. And he just talked about, um, uh, you know, like I said, you know, I just think, and, you know, and he said, and this is the thing, and my daughters and my son experience this even now. My wife is, you know, my wife is a speech therapist, and so she's really big about articulation. And she said there's nothing uh, more attractive than an articulate black man, okay? <laughs> that's one of the things she says. And she said when you hear somebody that's articulate, he says, and you speak so well for being black. You know, and uh, he said, he really said that? Uh, yeah. <laughs> And, uh, and, you know, this is my boss, and I was, it was so hurtful. But what I had to do is I had to rise above it. I had to realize that nothing he can say can keep me from achieving what God has purposed in my life. It is what my, my Aunt Alberta said. You have a, God has a plan and a destiny for you. He has purpose for you. And so if you'll follow that course, you'll get where you're going. Don't find yourself following after something that you shouldn't. I could have followed that. It was an opportunity for me to use my color because she said, you know, don't ever use your color. And so all those things come back. You know, they say the Holy Ghost will bring to your mind the things, to your remembrance, the things to say. And I didn't because I could have said, that is as racist. I mean, it was right in the heart of it. And I could have pulled it and it had been so great, but I decided I'm not going to pull a color card here. I have one in my pocket right now in case any of you guys want to know. <laughs> I do have a color. I do keep one handy, okay? <laughs> I keep one handy just in case you want to know. Uh, but, to, <laughs> but to date, uh, because of that, it's made, because of Jesus Christ, I'm so much better because of that. Because uh, I realize is that nothing I would have done there could have changed what he said. But everything that I would do could change what he said. And so because of my response, it affected him. And so what happened is I just started climbing right up the ladder in that company because of me responding to the correct way. And that's a God thing. You know, nobody can make you do that. You have to be, make a choice. You know, I decided to make a choice that I'm going to do like, you know, and I'm going to reference her a lot. My honor Berta said, you know, you know, bounce high. Let them slam you, bounce high. And, uh, and so it was hurtful. Pastor Rob, you don't know how it hurt. Uh, for somebody to tell you, you're black and you talk okay. I didn't think you were really capable of doing anything like this. I'm happy I hired you, but I only hired you because you are black. That's hurtful. Yeah, that's really hurtful, especially when you know that you spent the time, you got the education, you went through school, you did the things that were necessary to be in that position that you were in to get the job that you were applying for, and he tells you that the only reason why you're in my office today is because of some law that was passed, and that's hurtful. But, you know, you rise above it, and so God helped me to do that. Man, I thought it'd be easier to do this the second time. <laughs> but uh, it's like every time you talk about it, the emotions, you know, it's surreal. Um, I had a few experiences growing up, but, but nothing was more uh, crucial for me than the first experience that I had mentioned first service that I, I was blessed, you know, unlike these two. Um, growing up, I didn't really have any racial experiences. My first one was when I was about 12 or 13. Uh, I think I was I had just turned 13. Um, and I was with friends and they had all walked into the restaurant and I was the last one getting out of the car. And a uh, car had just dro drove by down the street and whole head out the window and gave me, you're the number one sign in, in the N-word. Um, and, you know, I'd seen movies and known that that was real, but that was the first time that I had felt a pain like that. Um, it, was, it was fresh and it was different. Um, and I remember at that moment, I, I, I kind of giggled and I laughed, but it was, oh man, it was painful. And it was at that moment where I, I had been saved since I was five and it was, that was the tipping point of becoming bitter. It was a slow point. That's the process where it happens for most people. It's an incident like that. And you can let that let you become bitter or you can allow the Holy Spirit to let you become better from that. And, and so even though I had more encounters, because I had that first encounter, um, I remember the first thing that the Lord told me was like, the, the problem here is that 
you're probably going to end up feeling bad for him. Even though this is the opportunity for you to, you could be sad and pout and feel bad for yourself. The Holy Spirit didn't let me do that. You know, I began to pray for somebody I didn't know, and it was weird. And that only God does stuff like that. It's yeah. only God yeah. that does stuff like you catch yourself praying for somebody that hurts you, and then that's when you realize, man, I am a new creature. This isn't my nature by any means. And so I began to pray for a guy that I, I didn't know. And I said in first service, I was like, the sad part was I'm awesome, and he didn't know that. Like, I'm, I'm really awesome. <laughs> Uh, yes you are <laughs> and so yeah it, it's just amazing how the Holy Spirit and so from that point forward when I had other encounters I, I really began to look and you take things into perspective where'd that person grow up where they're from Why, who taught them that that was okay because Pastor Fred said it so well in first service there's a million babies born every day and they're colorblind right you have to learn how to behave that way and yeah. so um for, for me, the reason that we can love the way we do is because I always turn it back to when I feel hurt and I'm, I'm saved and I know I'm a man that's full of sin. I think to myself, when I get hurt bad like that, my first response now is, God, is that how I've made you feel at any point in time? Have I done that to you? Have I made you feel that type of pain? And the answer is yes. Um, but the awesome thing is he continues to love us. Yeah. He continues to call us yeah. his own. Yeah. Um, and so that is why we continue to love like that. You have to love through the pain. He loved through the pain, stretched out on the cross. Father, forgive them. You know, that's the example. That's the example. All of us have been through some hurtful things. Every person in this church, no matter your color, we've all been through hurtful things. But the example is while they're killing you, can you say, Father, forgive them? And so that's what's challenged me ever since I was a little kid. And, and Derek's right, and if somebody, um, I think the term you can use when you're describing something is somebody is ignorant of something, and that means they don't know any better. They've never been taught any different. Yeah. I don't know if you ever heard about the Jane Elliott. Have you know who Jane Elliott is? But she did this experiment, brown eyes, blue eyes, and after Martin Luther King was killed, she was so upset that she came up with this experiment. And if Google it, check it out. But basically, it was a group of white students, and she was white, and she said, I don't remember which color of eyes, if you have brown eyes, there's something wrong, you know, blue eyes and whatever. So it showed the children how to feel what it's like to be discriminated about something that you have no choice in. Your eyes are brown or blue. You know, you were born with that. Um, in preparation for this, I touched base with my girls and my nieces who went to school at Science Hill. And I figure, and, and I love Science Hill, so this is not a, um, an abomination to the school. I'm just saying if it's a school that large and it's happening there, it's happening everywhere. I wanted to see what their experience was like and if it was the same as you know I was in school in the 70s some of my nieces in the 80s and 90s my girls in 2000s or whatever and being black but being as light-skinned as we are their experiences were very similar um, they weren't white so they weren't white enough but in many cases they weren't black enough but they really had to work at getting on and work harder be smarter be nicer just work hard to be on an equal playing field or maybe even in the playing field. And that was with peers and that was with teachers. And a couple of them said, we had this wonderful text message thing going, you know, it was exhausting by the end of the day because you didn't really fit in. Um, my sisters who had the experience of going to an all-black school, so I asked one of them, you know, what was your experience like? Well, same thing. So, it's, you know, it's not one of those things where you can say white people are discriminating against blacks. Well, black people discriminate against blacks yes, too. And my oldest sister was the head majorette, and she said her uniform was different than everybody's. And she said at the parades, each of these fabulous parades in downtown Johnson City, she said people would go, was she at the end of Science Hill's line or the beginning of Langston's line? She said she was just marching up and down the street. People didn't know where she fit in. But... Um, <laughs> but, you know, so... so it's, it's, you know, you can be very, um, very engaged and very involved, as my girls were, you know, cheerleaders, homecoming queens, et cetera, but maybe not feel like you fit in, or maybe be very lonely, even though you're in a big crowd of people. So, and in, in what we've experienced sometimes is you're in earshot, and if somebody's not thinking, you know, they might not say something because Derek's in the room, and they're remembering there's a black man in the room, but they may not be remembering a white woman's in the room. So sometimes I've heard people, and it wasn't a situation where it was appropriate for me to say something back to them, but people may say things that you start going, oh my goodness, yeah, you know, I, I hear their, see their heart here. Um, 
we had a situation with all the tension last summer. Um, Hannah went through some very ugly things um, with people saying things in her work environment, either coworkers or customers just flat out saying things. I think I went through a more quiet period maybe in history in the 70s. Um, but I think that people with social media, people bully and, and those kinds of things, and say things maybe they wouldn't say to your face. So you know, I just say all that to say um, you do have to let the love of Jesus take you beyond that. Yeah. I see that the compassion in my nieces, I see the compassion in my daughters and the careers they've chosen, teaching, counseling, things that are they're able to impact so many lives and show Jesus in what they do and how they act, and they know what hurt feels like and they know how to reach out to somebody else that they see being hurt. And it can be being hurt in many different ways. But because of our experiences, you know, we just hope that we are better people and then we can let God's love shine through us as we interact with others. Awesome. You know, the past couple of years have not been easy um, in America. Um, from the police shootings, from people being shot and the videos that we saw that were so shocking to officers being targeted in the streets in their own communities to riots to movements that have started from Black Lives Matter to other movements that have started and it you know we're sitting on this stage and um, our hearts are knit together yeah. and our hearts break for one another how do we how do we see what's happening here get into our community and even how do we see this take on a national level? We're, what do we do? What, do? what in your heart do you believe we've got to do? We'll start with you, Lon. You know, I think one of the things that makes a difference, I think in our church we can be organic in how we make a difference. Um, one of the things, and, and if, ever, if, if you feel uncomfortable, if it feels like I'm pointing a finger, remember there's four pointing back at me if I'm pointing. But think about, first off, how blessed we are. You know, this is a beautiful rainbow of people. And to be in a place that we have the freedom to join each other in this way and that we're thankful to do that. But by the same token, be introspective and say, so what about tomorrow? Am I any different than going to an ETSU ball game and sitting by somebody of a different color? Do I interact with them at all till the next ball game? Wow. Do you interact with anybody in this church outside that somebody that looks like you at all other than sitting in the service? Wow. And I hope we do. But if you don't, think about that because you can't really know someone if you're not spending time with them. I'm blessed to be part of a small group, and we do have, and I'm not sure that's the term we use today, but the, the opportunity to have a small um, group of people within our church. I'm part of a, a group we call our Supper Club. And Cindy Yet and Maria LaBarbera started this group, and they prayed that um, God would send them people that could show them uh, strong marriages and pour into their life. Well, little did they know that they would end up with two black couples with them, Tennessee fans, Alabama fans, and, and people that are 40, 50, 60s, and 70s. But through that, we do life together. You know, we've talked about racial issues over a meal. We've talked about what teachers experience. We have three teachers that are part of that group. And so you really can't understand people if you're not spending time with people. This being here today is not enough. So the first thing I think we can do is change things organically because I want people to see us out together. I want people to realize Calvary is a place that everybody loves everybody and people want to spend time together and they want to learn about each other. But you can't do that by just sitting in the pew. So I think the first thing is to try to change things organically by being the example you want people to follow. Um, I think there are other things we can do in terms of helping to change community dynamics. If there are issues in our community where people need help or where, where there needs to be a focus, we should be doing that with people of all color. We should be doing that with churches all across the region and not just coming together because there's tension in the air, but because there's a need and we can feel that need. There's an opportunity to change. People want our community to be better. All people want our community to be better. So let's look for solutions of things we can do together. Because what it, the, the phrase is, people don't know, want, know, want to know how much, what you know till they know how much you care. So if we can partner with um, other groups to help deal with something, whether like we did, we were a home base for the faith-based addiction um, opportunity for churches to come together, talk about how we can deal with the opioid addiction. There are hunger issues. There are lots of things we can do. And if we do them together and it's not around a race issue, it's around fixing yeah. community problem, yeah. 
then people have a t chance to spend time together and really learn we're more the same than we are different. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Um, I read a, a book one time, it was called, um, What Color Is Your God? And uh, to, that's, that's weird. And uh, I thought, this is a great book, What Color Is Your God? And uh, what they did was they took a group of kids who were in church and they asked them to draw a picture of God. And this is a multicultural church. And all of them drew God in their own skin color. You know, and so my point is, is this, what can we do to change? It's what we teach our children. Because children, you know, whether it's racism, uh, bigotry, prejudice, it's a taught thing. It's like Derek said, it's something you, you do, kids don't grow up just automatically they become that like somebody had to teach them. And so I think it's a, it's a matter of changing culture. It's changing the culture. It's what we pour into our kids today. It's what we speak about the Lord Jesus Christ. I appreciate what Derek said that he was just taught that he was a child of God since he was five years old. So that's what he knew. So at 13 years old, for somebody to say, you know, call him the N-word and flip the bird at him or whatever, you know, that was hurtful because he didn't understand that because that's not how he was taught. And so it's what we teach our children, it's what we pour into our children. And, uh, and it's a cultural thing. And so what it is is that in our culture today, you know, and, and, not, and I'm not slamming our culture, you know, it's entitlement and there's a whole bunch of other things and maybe we did a lot to cause that to happen, but the idea is that we have to change that. I think as we go into our communities, we speak the love of Jesus Christ. We speak that Jesus, there is no difference. There is no Jew, there is no Greek, there is no bond, there is no free. Everybody is the same in the body of Christ. And so as we begin to speak that into this culture, it will change some things. I think as we lift up the name of Jesus, he draws all men unto himself. And that's a cultural thing. You know, you know it, this kind of thing has been going on throughout history, you know, but the, the one thing that has changed it all, that turned the world upside down, was the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when we understand that, you know, I said this in first service, that in Cornelius's house, he was sending up alms before God, and God heard him, sent an angel, say, go to Peter's house, and in that, Cornelius's whole house got saved. This is a picture of what the church should really look like. You know, when Jesus died on the cross, he died for all of mankind. He didn't die for whites or blacks or Jews or Greeks. He died for all of mankind. And this is a, we are just a small painting of all that Jesus meant when he died on the cross. And so when you look at the person next to you, this is how it's supposed to be. This is, and, but it's a cultural thing. And so as we reach out into our communities and we speak this truth of who Jesus Christ really is and what his intent really was about as far as salvation. It wasn't about a segregated church. It wasn't that because you worship one way and because you worship this way, you should go to this church or you should go to that church. It was about we're all the same. God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. And he said that's where he shows up. And so as we as a people all together, same, you know, does it, all of us have this one thing in common, Jesus Christ and him crucified. This is our commonality, and that's a cultural thing. As we begin to communicate that, as we begin to reach out into our community and say, this is what we are here at Calvary Church. We're reaching out to the homosexual. We're reaching out to the lesbian. We're reaching out to the poor. We're reaching out to the hurting. We're reaching out to those different things. That's a cultural change because that's not what they're used to. They're used to somebody giving them something instead of giving them money or whatever, but instead we're giving them life. We're giving them truth. We're giving them hope. And that only comes through Jesus Christ. Amen. Um, they both destroyed those, that answer, so mine will be very brief. But uh, look at the original sin in the Bible, and it's pride. Um, and so if we're talking about making a change, the thing that's going to hold us back is going to be pride. Uh, pride that we don't want to be awkward. Um, say things we don't know. We want to always look professional. Um, and so one thing that's going to involve to see change from every type of person in the community is the willingness to be awkward, the willingness to not be the professional on the matter. You know, in, in our, my generation especially, um, 
with these cell phones, man, these iPhones, we've all become professional at whatever field we want to, you know, in our own influence world. Um, and so it, it's take it's bring, breaking down those walls of pride and saying, you know what, I don't know everything what it's like to be you. Um, and then embracing it. So we have to be intentional about tearing down our own walls of pride and then embracing the beauty of it. You know, there's there's a lot of people now to, to avoid the topic of race. They're, they say there is there is no race. We're all just one people. No, no, there is there is race. And it's beautiful. God created us all so very unique. There's so many beautiful things about the different races that you fall in love with that it's so beautiful that only God could design it that way. If you if you saw something beautiful that you loved, nobody grows crops or something, they grow fruit or they grow uh, corn and then they build a fence so that they can't get to it. Fences are division. And so the th often the things that we are divided over are things that if we tore the fences down, we'd find out we'd really enjoy a lot. And we built up all these fences and we are actually li limiting our satisfaction and our joy. That's the way God designed us. And so some of the fulfillment that you're going to find in life is going to be from somebody that doesn't look anything like you. They don't talk anything like you and they've never been anywhere you want to go, but they have something in them that you need. And so I think embracing the beauty of the difference and not being afraid to, to be awkward. I might say something weird, you know, to somebody that's Asian because I don't know Asian. I just like to eat Asian food. I love teriyaki chicken and so I might say something dumb uh, but if you're a Christian and you're Asian guess what I need you to be like okay Derek this is how you want to say that right? like, don't say it like that you sound crazy okay so that and that's the thing like being open to it we, we talked about it in first service you know you see it in kind of in movies language barriers sometimes that people would go I come in peace I come in peace kind of a hands-up thing and if we take that approach to these racial issues in our community people can sense that coming in peace is something that tears down all racial walls ages it doesn't matter where you're from yeah. when you come in peace people can tell and I think uh, that's what we have to do that has to be our approach if we want to see change You guys are awesome. Aren't you thankful? You know, um, talk to us a little bit about what we can do as a church um, to love to love one another better. Um, in the sense that, you know, we, you know, it's like I said, we, I'm pretty sure in this church this morning there's some really strong Republican leaning folks and I guarantee you there are some folks that lean pretty hard Democrat and when it comes to difficult issues um, I remember a friend of mine during uh, kind of the height of the Black Lives Matter movement a white pastor standing up and um, kind of in a way saying he agreed with that movement and he understood that perspective and he got so much backlash for that just from saying he tries he's trying to understand somebody else's point of view how I'm, you know how do how do we love one another better in the sense that we not that we agree to disagree but we tr we listen more because to me the, the the idea that I love my wife but I don't listen to her I don't think that's that can be a reality. I don't think that's what real love is. I think to, for the Christian to be such a, so hard-lined in one area of perspective or ideology is, is not Christ-like. And uh, I've talked about this before. I've, I've told our church before, God is not an American. He's not a Democrat. He's not a Republican. He, and, and, you know, he was never voted in. He'll never be voted out. He's God all by himself. How do we, is this a kingdom issue? Do, do we need to, does the church need to get a, a kingdom mindset again? Do we, need a, do we need another Dr. Miles Monroe to come and teach us the kingdom and what it looks like? There's neither Jew nor Greek nor male. Nor, do we need, is it a kingdom mindset that we have to take? Because what do we do? What do we do when we are fiercely, divided in how we think on a certain issue, how do we continue to love? 
That's a hard question. I, that was a it long is, question. Uh, too. I think the, the thing is, it's, it's individual priority. I believe when, when you, if Brother Fred and I went somewhere and we talked and we didn't agree on an issue, we would be fine when we left. We would be okay. And the reason is the number one priority for us, we have in common. We're okay. Because the, the most important thing to us is the, is the commission to make disciples, to love one another. How many times in the Bible did God say love one another? Jesus is praying in John 17, and he's talking about his relationship with his fathers. And then he looks down at his disciples, and he says, Lord, I pray that they are one, as you and I are one. It, Jesus saw unity so much as an issue that he prayed for it. Jesus is praying for unity for us. Um, and then he didn't just pray for them. He said, not only these disciples, but the ones that are going to come later on. Mm -hmm. He foresaw yeah. that we would struggle getting along together. But if we prioritize the gospel, all these other things fall into place. I mean, Pastor Rob has done such an, an amazing job when he talked about what's your Samaria, that place that you don't want to go through, that place you want to avoid. Um, when we prioritize our life, when when things that should matter the most matter, when you're taking care of your family, uh, when, you're, when you're loving your brothers and sisters, some of these other issues are gonna be important, but you're gonna realize they're not, they don't, the people don't come, shouldn't come at the expense of your idea. You know, if your idea is worth more than a relationship, wow. then yeah. it's not in the proper prioritized wow. part in your life. So I think we have to do a better job as Christian individuals prioritizing what's important to us in our life. Wow. That's awesome. um, I think uh, another thing we can do is uh, as Christians, is take off our rose-colored glasses. Everything is just not red. And so as we take off these rose-colored glasses, we begin to see each other as we really are. We can begin to identify with each other as we really, really are. And so when I look at you, I look at your heart, I look at your attitude, I look at your character, I look at those things, I look at you differently. But if I have rose-colored glasses on, all I see is red. And so everybody is the same, but everybody is not the same. So you take off the glasses and you can see the individuality of each person. You know, even how I love Christ is different from how you love Christ. How I worship is different from how you worship. And so the thing is, is I have to, and I like this word, it's a great word, embrace our individualities. When I embrace how you are, and if you'll embrace where I am, what happens, we, we come to that commonality where we can say, we're fine, everything is okay. But what happens is, is when you leave the glasses on, and, you, and here's the thing, if you, leave the rose-colored glasses and you look at someone through the eyes of the Word of God, you have a distorted view. If you take the glasses off, you see clearly what God is speaking about an individual, about the heart of a person, rather than seeing it through a, a, a tainted pair of glasses that don't give you a clear view. And what I want for you and for me is that in our relationship as we grow closer together, is that you see me for Fred, that you see me for me, and I see you for you, and that we embrace this Lord Jesus Christ, this, this relationship we have with God, that we embrace it together, and we continue to communicate this gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, man, it becomes so much more powerful when we're like that. All of a sudden, we become, uh, what's the word? Um, I'm trying to think of is where we become exponentially more powerful because we are together. We are one in our thoughts and our attitudes, but it's not based on some pair of glasses that I have on that I don't really see clearly through. It just all looks red. And I take them off and I see you as my pastor. So it doesn't matter that you're 10 years, 15 years younger than me. This is a man of God. It doesn't, if I look at you through red glasses, this is just a young kid. And really, I don't really you know, what does he really have? What can he really speak to my life? But when I take the glasses off and see you through the eyes of God in the word of God, it changes it. It changes how I can respond to you. I can receive from you. You can receive from me because there is a commonality that we now have that is based on the word of God and based on our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ.
from a from a practical perspective, there are people, there are churches who found um, growth through very facilitated conversations. Um, you know, whether it be local or, or in larger cities or whatever, where there are people who professionally come in and create dialogue in a not a church setting, but like in a fellowship hall setting, and then you learn you know, other people's um, fears and other people's the, the the things that have troubled them as well. And so, you know, for people who really want to go deeper and have those conversations and better understand and put themselves through conversation about what would it have felt like. I mean, there are very practical ways to do that. Um, there are organizations like the YWCA that eliminating racism is one of their priorities. And you have folks in our church like Tina McDaniel who works for YW, and they will come in and help facilitate conversations because they know that being able to talk through things. You know, yeah. Jesus came to this earth yeah. and he communicated with people. He spent time with people. He fellowshiped and being able to talk through things and talk through perspectives. And for somebody to say, you may not think you may not have intended for that to be hurtful, but when you responded in that way on Facebook, man, it hurt because I identified it this way. So you were, you were attacking me when you said that. Well, I didn't mean to do that. I'm, well, maybe you didn't mean to, but that's how it came across. Yeah. So to have some real practical, facilitated yeah. Yeah. conversation can bring growth and healing as well. I think we do that. I think we have this way of making people feel like their emotions are invalid. Yeah. Like you shouldn't feel that way. You shouldn't cry over that you shouldn't when we have no right to tell another person what they should be afraid of what they right. should cry over what right. how they should feel right. you know the day after the election I told you guys we were going to talk politics and we're not but the day after the election I got texts from people who were excited people who were fearful and what do you do you know what do you do do you tell the person who's fearful what are you afraid of yeah. you know that's hurtful do you tell the person that's excited you shouldn't be happy that's what do you do? You, you just, you hear the emotions and you just respect the fact that people feel a certain way. Yeah. And I think that I'm learning, I'm learning that as I spend more time with people that aren't like me, is to stop making people feel like their feelings are invalid or they don't matter, they shouldn't feel that way. Awesome. And just talking to, why do you feel that way? What's your concern? How can I help yeah. ease your, how can I help you yeah. walk through that? How can I help you yeah. deal with yeah. that fear, that pain yeah. and, and that's yeah. going on in your life? Yeah. So, man. This has been great conversation, hasn't it? Yeah. 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 You want to say something? Yeah, I'm going to beat up my pastor here. Um, we want to thank you for giving us a voice. Um, and I said this in first service, and so let me, I'll say it again. You know, you are standing on the shoulders of your dad, and we recognize that. But he saw this. I think I said that to you in the office. He saw that we would be this one day. Uh, when, you know, he, I, I, I remember talking, I told you about going on a trip with him one time and he and I talking and uh, he realized the issues that were there, but he realized that those walls could be torn down. And so it is an honor for us uh, to, you know, just to sit up here and allow you to, you know, ask us the questions. The, the questions aren't, they're hard, but they're just truth. There is reality questions that people, some people won't ask, and you ask those questions. So we're just so thankful that you're following the heart of God, and you're allowing God to create an environment that folks can come to and feel like they can be reached, and they can be touched, and they can feel the presence of God, and know that God loves them no matter who they are and what kind of lifestyle they live or what background they have, that they love them. And so we're thankful that for God raising you up for such a time as this. And we just so appreciate you. Thank you. say this to the church, you know, I think our obsession as a church is that we'd rather win people than win arguments. That's right. So I'd rather win a prayer, like Derek said, uh, the priority in this church is people. It's not winning arguments. And I'm so thankful for you guys. Can we just thank them for sharing their hearts today? And <laughs> you guys are amazing.
Pastor, this is all your fault. Would you come and pray for us as we close? We want to want to thank God for you and for the vision that God has given you to God spoke a word over this church that that we would we would break the back of racism. And uh, we believe that, not just for black and white people, but for all people. Would you pray and just, just kind of release everyone today? Yeah. Amen. Well, Father, we just want to, I want to thank you for Sister Lottie and um, her husband, Eric, their example and testimony in our community. You've raised them up as wonderful leaders and outside of the church outside of Sundays they have been making a difference and we want to thank you for that I want to thank you Lord for my friend Fred that through the years we served together not just uh, in the work of the kingdom but as friends and uh, I want to thank you for that I, I want to thank you for Derek Thank you for the privilege of dedicating him as a baby, watching him grow up, get married, have children. Thank you for the fact that he grew up in this church but didn't, didn't feel the sting of racism until he was 13 somewhere outside the church. Thank you for Pastor Ross for his courage to uh, not ignore the problems in our, our society and community, but to address them believing that the church, your people, the kingdom of God can make a difference. You sent us to be a city set on a hill that cannot be hid, lights in darkness. Help us to be that as your people. And so today I want to thank you that, that uh, you have helped us to prioritize relationship that people are more important than things and that the relationship is more important than winning the argument or proving that we're right God I'd, I'd just rather uh, I'd rather see your kingdom advanced and your kingdom come people be saved than to prove a point so I thank you, God, for this kingdom-minded pastor you've given us and for his heart for our community. Now, God, let the spirit of what has been, happened today in both services, let it invade this congregation. But don't let it just stay here. Help us to take it on our jobs, take it into our families, and take it into our communities. And help us to make conscious effort, not just to talk, but to build relationship, for the key is there. God, it's, uh, as Lottie said, help us, Lord, to build relationship, to invite people out to dinner, to invite them to our house, to, uh, to be intentional, as Derek said, about, about breaking down these walls and be intentional about our, our conversations and our relationships. So, God, we thank you once again for the love that you've demonstrated to us. Help us to love one another and to represent you well. In Jesus' name, everyone say amen. Amen. Shake a hand, hug a neck. Go ahead. Give the Lord a great praise offering. Wasn't this awesome? Hey, guys, real quick as well. Um, out here in the hub, if you're between the ages of 18 to 35, we are going to be starting to meet here once a month um, and just having a good time. And so we have registration. It's $5 uh, for food and child care is provided. But the point of it is just getting together, building relationships, being intentional about building healthy, godly relationships. And so we know on a Sunday atmosphere like this, it's hard to really build the type of relationships that sustain you. Um, and so out there in the hub, we have registration. You can also register online and uh, pay the $5 online. But hope to see you guys there, 18 to 35. Love you guys.